Amen. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 25, the opening 13 verses this morning. What a great day it has already been. Isn't it right for us to acknowledge our freedom and those who have given so much for us to enjoy the freedom that we have? Thank you so much, J.D., for blessing us with your story. You're just a blessing to us. So grateful for you and for Amanda and Naya and Killian. We just love your family so much. And it's just good that we get to be together today as we continue our walk through the Olivet Discourse that causes us to consider the truth of the parousia. When the classical commentator Matthew Henry described the parousia, he writes of the second coming of Christ, I want you to listen to this, that it is the center in which all of the lines of our religion meet. And if what he says is true, I'm afraid that Matthew Henry might indeed be in the minority, not because he holds some kind of aberrant theological view that's not held by many. That's not the reason I think he's in the minority. His views are very orthodox. The reason I believe he is that is because I think there are few of us, very few of us, that put Jesus in this position and his return in the forefront of our minds in our daily thinking. Because of everything that Matthew chapter 24 and 25 that Jesus says, if everything is true and we know that it is, what we learn about the return of Jesus is breathtaking isn't it? Just think about everything we considered even last Sunday. When Jesus returns, church, it will be obvious. It will be glorious. And it will be unexpected. Jesus will come to us way different than he came the first time. Because the first time he came as a helpless baby and as a humble servant. But when he comes the second time, he'll return in the same way that he left, and he will come back as the universe's conquering warrior and unrivaled ruler. And when he comes again, I want you to hear me. All that has been written and all that has been experienced that has been filled with sadness, all of that which is sad, he will turn and make untrue. He will come and bring final judgment with him. He will usher in upon his return a thousand-year reign, and he will finally throw the ancient serpent, Satan himself, into an inescapable pit. So when we talk about parousia, we're talking about something for which we are preparing that's going to affect our lives, not just for the next century, and not just for the next millennium. It's going to affect our lives for the next tens of billions of years for all of eternity. Have you ever thought about it this way? The importance of that which we're talking, the realities of the Olivet Discourse, they determine both the quality and the residence of our eternal existence. So it shouldn't surprise us when Matthew Henry asserts that Jesus' Jesus's return is the center in which all of the lines of our religion meet. And if, G, if Matthew Henry truly is of the minority, 
even as we take in God's word from Matthew chapter 25, I hope that we will receive it gladly and we will join him boldly in that view. Look with me in Matthew 25, beginning in verse 1, this parable of Jesus that readies us for his return. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who, looked, who took their lamps and went to meet their bridegroom. And five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. And as the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast. And the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Let me tell you what I think good preaching is. One of the primary purposes of preaching, maybe the most important is this, that when you hear preaching, you walk away knowing how to study and read the Bible for yourself. And that's what I hope you will always do as we walk our way through verse by verse of texts of the Bible. And one of the central truths that I want you to remember as we unpack this parable is something that is true of all the parables that Jesus gives us. That, listen to this, Every parable that you read comes together and teaches one central lesson. We have that lesson right here in this chapter, and here's the lesson that I want you to consider this morning. The followers of Jesus must live ready for the return of their king at any time. That's what we learn from this text. Now, there are three main characters in this story Though when we first open up in chapter 25, verse 1, you might think that there's only two. There's mention of a bridegroom and there's mention of ten virgins. Now when we talk about the bridegroom, that's easy enough. There's only one of those. But when it talks about ten virgins, they are essentially bridesmaids of the bride. They are described as being virgins to convey the message that they are unmarried women, part of the bridal party if we're thinking of it in the way that we think about marriages and weddings today, and all of these are virgins telling us they are assumed to be in waiting in a virtuous way for their future husbands. And we also learn in these opening verses that they each possess a lamp. And these lamps are oil-soaked torches. And each of them is going to need a lamp because the bridegroom's coming at night, and if they're going to make their journey with the bridegroom, they're going to need their lamps when he comes. And so it's understood that every one of these bridemaids, they all need their own lamps. And we're going to speak more about that which they have in just a moment. We're going to talk more about what separates these ten virgins into two different parties, two different camps. But before we do that, I want us to focus on the first character of this parable. Let's learn from the message of the bridegroom. 
Because it is through the lens of this character that Jesus teaches us a very valuable lesson. If we're going to be ready for his imminent and close and near return. And the first thing that you need to learn as you're studying this parable is this. Jesus is going to teach us through the perspective of the bridegroom to focus on Jesus and not a prediction. Back in the first century, whenever a Jewish couple would marry, the groom would leave his house and would go to the house of his bride. And it is there with the bride, with the bride's family, that the marriage ceremony would happen. And then after that ceremony would happen, the wedding party would join the bridegroom as he would lead them along with his new bride back to the groom's home for the marriage feast. I hate to draw too much of a parallel, but that feels a whole lot like a reception that follows, doesn't it? So I want you to think about that. This is what happens as we understand this parable. This is the cultural context of it. And to Jesus' original hearers and listeners, they would have understood it this way. But in this story, there's a surprise about the bridegroom. His coming to the house of his bride and all the bridesmaids is delayed. It's not just a little late. It's very late. And in fact, he does eventually come But it is much later than anyone who had gathered in the home of the bride would have ever expected. And by the time that bridegroom comes to the home of where all of the bridesmaids had come together, they have decided that this wedding is not going to happen tonight. They've been assuming this is going to happen another night. So it tells us that they've grown drowsy and they've fallen asleep. Now don't over-spiritualize that concept of being drowsy and asleep. What happens when you're tired late at night? You go to bed, right? There's nothing wrong with that. That's not the point. Don't miss it and think that these people are asleep in the day. That's not it. The the bridegroom has been late getting there. He's not shown up. Naturally, they're physically tired and exhausted, so they go to sleep. They don't expect anything else to happen that night. I mean, let's just think of it. Who in the world gets married after midnight, right? We just assume it's going to happen another day. But herein lies the lesson from the bridegroom. Jesus' return is going to come later than any one of us would ever expect. And so that is why he's explaining even further, it is a pointless endeavor to try to anticipate and predict the day and the time of his return. All of this detail takes us back to what we just read last week in Matthew chapter 24, verse 36, when Jesus said, but concerning that day, don't you want to know the day? Wouldn't it be great if we just knew when? But concerning that day, the hour, Jesus says, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. In fact, he mentions it again upon his ascension into heaven. It's recorded in Acts chapter 1, verse 7. Right before he ascends into heaven, he says, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed for his own authority. The time of Jesus' return is something, church, that we are not to know. It is a secret knowledge in the mind of the Father, and it is not for us. But we want to know it, don't we? When I was a kid, I got to tell you, 
I just wanted to know certain things, especially come December. And I got to admit to you, I, I told my parents this in the first service when they were in it. Mom looked very surprised. She did not know this. I gave her a confession from my childhood. It always gets you in trouble and leads to great conversations after church on Sunday. But I'll never forget when I would go and I found where my parents would hide my Christmas presents. And I never told them. I was smart enough to not tell them where it was that I knew they hid them because they continued to hide them there every year. So most years, I would have to really act surprised after, after knowing already in advance. Some days, I'll tell you, I thought I was getting some of my brothers were getting. I'd have to have the feeling of disappointment. But, but all of that happened. Now, why did I do that? It was deceptive. It was wrong. But why did I do that? Because I just wanted to know. There's just something in us that just wants to know, don't we? It's something that we've inherited from our first parents, Adam and Eve, back in the Garden of Eden. Do you remember what it says in Genesis chapter 2? You can have fruit from any of the trees in the garden except one. Just don't taste of the fruit, the forbidden fruit from the tree of knowledge. But for whatever the reason, it just couldn't be helped by Adam and Eve. They just heard the voice of the serpent. They wanted that forbidden fruit. They looked at it and saw that it was tasty to the eyes and would be good to consume. So they went to it and their appetite overtook them. They craved after that fruit and they took a bite. And there we see what happens when we fall into temptation, don't we? The forbidden fruit is out there, and every time we take a bite of it, it leads to our death, it leads to our destruction and our rebellious, rebellion against the Lord. And so it is with this knowledge that we sometimes just want to have. If only we could know when Jesus would return. But listen, church, don't try to bite from that tree. God doesn't want you to know the day. That's not to be our focus Don't take a bite of these things. Don't even put your gaze there. Instead, let's claim that we're going to live our way in a different way. A way that this parable tells us we ought to live. This affirmed in a text like Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, that says that this is how we're to live instead. Lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and run with perseverance the race before us, looking unto Jesus. This is how we live. This is what we learn about the preparation for the return of Jesus from the bridegroom. Listen, the closer we get to the return of Jesus, remember what we learned in Matthew 24? The birth pains will come. They'll get more intense. They'll be more painful. There'll be more greater need for, there'll be greater need to rely on the Lord as we suffer and as we feel the weight of Jesus' return as all of creation groans and as we move closer to the return of Jesus, it's only going to get harder and harder. Think of it in the way of Hebrews. The race is going to get more and more difficult. It will get hotter. The climate will get more difficult for us to live faithfully before the Lord. And as for the terrain in which we run, it will feel like everything is uphill. And we're going uphill in an even greater, greater way. But no matter how steep the hill, no matter how hot the environment, we are called to Throw aside all that might hinder us and look unto Christ. Just look to Him. Just keep looking to Jesus. So we learn from the bridegroom. Don't make predictions. 
Just look to Christ for the strength that you need, trusting that he will return when it is determined for him to come back. So we need to focus on Jesus and not just a prediction. But as we continue to read, there's some other things we need to learn here. Because there's another character for us to learn from. The wise virgins. Now, we're going to start there in the two groups of these bridesmaids. Because that's the place we want to start. This is the group that we want to be a part of, right? I sure hope that's the way you feel because it's very true here. And this is important for us to remember because when it comes to Jesus' return, there are going to be true followers of Christ and those who are not true followers of Christ. We're going to see that as we continue on in Matthew chapter 25. He will separate, separate the sheep from the goats. You want to be the wise, the wise virgins. You want to be the wise unmarried women, not the ones who are called foolish here. So this is the group we want to be a part of. And let's See what we are to learn from them. These are the true followers of Jesus. All of these virgins have lamps. And their lamps are ready to go whenever the bridegroom is to come. But it is the wise ones who not only have a lamp, but also have with them flasks of oil. Because the journey with the bridegroom is going to require way more oil than what you can dip your torch in to begin the journey. you got to bring more oil with you. When I was thinking of this principle, we all felt this a few weeks ago, didn't we? The colonial pipeline. Oh my goodness. We wondered, would we ever be able to drive our cars again? We feared that we never would. And what happened when you found out? I remember I got the news, and I looked at my gas gauge, and I looked at Allie's gas gauge, and both of them were almost on empty. And I said, we are going to be walking a lot. I mean, we've got to do something. So I did what every husband ought to do. And I went and I got in her car, and I went from one gas station to the next until I finally found the one in Mableton that I could still find a little gas from. And I got as much gas as I could for her car to make sure we had at least one vehicle. And then I, I just said, well, at least we're, we got one car. We can get around, right? When we learned that it might be that we were unable to get gas, you made provisions, didn't you? You did whatever you had to do. You stood in line. You waited. You paid like $40 a gallon if you had to because you knew that you needed to be able to get from one place to the next. You didn't just sit back. You didn't just learn of that news, most of us, and say, well, well, that's going to not be any fun and just sat back and waited. You did something, right? That's what you do when you learn that information. You want to be prepared. You want to be ready. And Jesus affirms that in regard to a relationship with him, when it comes to the parousia, those who will be prepared will be those who will be ready for his return. So here's the takeaway about what it means to be ready. Don't just look at some invitation that you responded to years ago as a teenager in which you trusted Christ and then were baptized in water. And if you were honest, nothing much has happened with you and the Lord since then as being some kind of preparation for this end time. And please don't look at the fact that you might have expressed some time along the way in your life, or even if you were to say, yes, when it comes to Jesus, I, like, I love Jesus, I, I care about him. It is way more than affection. It's way more than just an invitation that you responded to. I want to ask you, what are you doing now with Christ? Are you walking with him intimately today? 
Aren't you toiling around and fooling around with some sort of sin that's pulling you away from fellowship? Or are you right with God right now? This is how we've got to live as the wise bridesmaids show us how to live ready for his return. And if it were to come right now, there wouldn't be anything we would regret. We would be ready for his return. And that's what we learn from this text. So bring glory to Jesus in the present. That is the lesson of the wise bridesmaids in this passage. But then there's another group. There's five wise ones, and then there's five that are called foolish. It's the third character from which we are to learn. I saved it for last. It's the one that none of us want to be a part of. These are the unfortunate ones in the story. They are still called virgins, meaning there is some level of chastity in their lives. In some way, they're still saving themselves for their future husband, at least it looks like they are, which represents the majority of churches everywhere, a combination of those who are faithfully serving the Lord and those who are not, and only the Lord knows the difference. I don't know it, but you know. I don't even have to continue, and you already know which camp you fall into. The Holy Spirit is laying on in your heart and made it and can get abundantly clear where you fall in the story. You have a lamp, but there's something that is still lacking. You're called foolish because you don't have the extra flask of oil that's needed to make it the full length of the journey and the lesson of the foolish bridesmaids bridesmaids it's a very simple and straightforward one extra oil will be needed for these bridesmaids to persevere in their journey the torch that they need to make it as they follow the bridegroom it's not only needed to light their path so they can make it to where the bridegroom is taking them but it's also needed to ensure that everyone knows what their intentions are. There's nothing secretive about them. There's no evil intentions that's causing them to sneak around in the darkness as if they are a thief. And the big mistake of these foolish bridesmaids is this mistake of being presumptuous. They've already determined the bridegroom, he's not going to come. We can go to sleep. We don't have to carry with us a full flask of oil in the event that he returns. They don't have to prepare. They've determined what good would it do anyway, and they've already come up with a provision. Isn't it interesting how we rationalize away our lack of faithfulness to the Lord? Even if he does come, we've got some really kind, sweet sisters who are the good bridesmaids that are always ready, always prepared. They've always got more than enough. Surely they'll give me some of what I need so I can join them. but they can't share. There's such presumption in the way these live. And it's not that their sisters who are faithful, it's not that they'd be unwilling to share if they could. It's that they can't. It's the same thing that Paul teaches us in 
Romans chapter 9 when he's talking about his love for his fellow countrymen. If only they would believe in Jesus to be the Messiah. And he says, if only my fellow countrymen would repent and believe. But they are accursed and they will not. But I would be accursed for them if I could. It shows the love that we have for people who are unbelievers. But at the end of the day, even if we could give up our salvation and go to hell for someone else to go to heaven, we cannot. Preparation cannot be transferred. My girls cannot live off of my preparation. I can't live off of Allie's preparation. All of our preparation for each individual person has to stand alone. And if you see how the story continues, in desperation, these who aren't ready when the bridegroom comes, they go out in desperation hunting for oil. But by the time they find what they need the most, it is too late. The bridegroom has come. Jesus has arrived. And the door that leads them into the place that they can enjoy the wedding feast has been shut. They cry out to him, Lord, Lord, a word of affirmation. But their opportunity has passed. And in that moment, they realize the horrible mistake that they've made. And this mistake is going to carry them through for all of eternity. Here's the lesson from these foolish bridesmaids. Don't look to the past to guarantee your future. But every single day live waiting on the return of Jesus, ready for him at any moment. Allie and I had some fun years before we had our girls as we were both in seminary together. And she got her MDiv. She had a much better GPA than I did. And she also graduated a whole semester before I did. And she got her degree in family ministry to be able to counsel and minister to families and their needs. And that meant that she was a part of the counseling program and one of the last things she had to do was go and serve for a whole semester as a volunteer chaplain at a local hospital. Be supervised for how that went, and she would go, and she would have normal hours, but then there were also a lot of nights during that semester that she was on call. And that meant that in the middle of the night, back before the days that everyone just had their cell phones, and you could count on that, she had to carry a beeper. And when she was on call, I got to where I hated that beeper. Because it would inevitably go off anytime she was on call. And whenever it would go off, she had 30 minutes from the time that it beeped to get in the car and make a 20-minute drive to the hospital to be there and face whatever crisis she would have to face. It could be an infant that came in in an emergency way who had recently died. The need was always great, and she just had to be ready for whatever it was that she'd have to face. So whenever she had a night that she had to have the beeper, it was different than most nights. We'd get tired, we'd go to bed, but instead of going to bed like you typically would, she'd have to go to bed with her clothes on. And she would lay there in bed with her shoes right next to her that she could slip on as quickly as she could, so the event that she got beeped would happen off and she could just throw those shoes on and be out the door. She was always ready. And she knew she needed to be, not because she had to be, but because the need before her was too great not to.
And church, this is the way we've got to live. The return of Jesus could happen at any moment. The imminency of Jesus teaches us that he will return and it is near. And that means since we must always be ready, we want to be found identified not as the foolish ones, but the wise ones. So we've got to live ready. We've got to prepare for contingencies. We've got to make sure that we're a people who are living, not looking the part, but as those who truly are followers of Jesus Christ, completely committed to him, prepared to meet him, prepared for his return, knowing that it could come at any given moment. And so when you live your life in this way, it changes everything. You live with a continual sense of repentance from sin. You don't let anything hold you back. You surrender to Jesus, his lordship, on every day, in every way. You're ready and prepared when he comes. So here's the question. Do you presently have an active, enduring, personal intimate relationship with Jesus Christ or is that not there when I ask you to bow your head and close your eyes are you ready you know you It's got to be more than an invitation, but an invitation is where it so often begins. I'll never forget when I was facing the reality of my own sin and understanding its weight, and the Spirit was working in my life. After I talked to my dad, I heard the invitation of the church, and I ran down that aisle. I just needed everyone to know what Jesus had done inside of me and respond to him in obedience. You see, there's got to be a place in your life that you transfer all of your sin and yourself and you trust in Christ. And that's where relationship with Him begins. You pass from death to life. You become a child of the King. You confess with your mouth that He's Lord and believe in your heart God raised Him from the dead and then you're saved. Do you know Christ? Do you have a relationship with Him? For those of us in here who know that we're not in the camp of the foolish, but we're trusting in Christ every day. We're in the camp of those who are ready for Jesus' return. I want you to hear me. This message is for all of us too. Because in any given day, there's an area in our life that we need to constantly focus on. The Lord is speaking to you right now. Is there an area of sin that you're toying around with? Is there a relationship with someone that's just not right, that you need to make right? Is there a neighbor that you haven't shared the gospel with that you want to be there with you for all of eternity, for these tens of billions of years, thanks to the finished work of Jesus? Just ask you to be honest before the Lord in this invitation. Just make sure you're right with Him. I pray that we'll be found faithful, that there'll be enduring an endurance in our life when we stand before him. Father, I thank you so much for this time. I pray that you'll just have your way with us, that we'll follow you in obedience and respond to your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.